What if you are more than just one thing? Say you're a writer and an artist. Is there such a rule that says you should only be confined to do or create one thing? Well, our guest, Amy Stewart, demystifies this notion. She's a certified artist, a speaker, and a published author of over a dozen books, with four New York bestsellers under her belt, an advocate of pursuing your interest and curiosity. Amy Stewart is definitely more than just one thing. Listen as we discuss practical and portable ways to set up your art supplies while traveling and outdoors, how exploring different mediums can lead to endless creative possibilities, having two levels of sketchbook to address the fear of a blank canvas, how to draw a sketch without overthinking, and capturing the trivial and mundane to translate into an interesting piece of art. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etrolab.com. Hey, this is Jesse, and I'm an artist and studio host for Etrolab. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. So join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I've made my, I'm professionally, I'm a writer. I've made my living writing books pretty much my whole adult life. That's what I've done. But, um, I was always interested in art. And so where this really started for me is that my first book was a memoir about my first garden in Santa Cruz, California. So, you know, I graduated college and I moved from Texas out to California and I had a garden for the first time. And that's just kind of what was going on in my life. So that's what I wrote about. Um, and, but I kind of wanted to draw, like I sort of wanted to keep a garden journal and draw little pictures of what was going on in my garden, but I didn't know how to draw. I just had never really, art was, my thing was writing. Um, so we moved to uh, a small town in Northern California, Eureka, California, which is a small rural community, pretty isolated from any big city. And I couldn't find a drawing class. I just, there just didn't happen to be anybody in town teaching just informal sketching what I wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. And this is before online classes. So yeah. That was not an option. <laughs> um, and what was available in this small town was an oil painting class. Now, um, I, I loved this teacher. Like I loved her paintings. I had admired her paintings for a while. So I was happy to take a class from her, but I didn't start out with this urge to do oil paintings. That's just the only thing that was on offer. Mm -hmm. And her class was one of those things that it's just, you show up every Wednesday night for the rest of your life. You know, like there's no okay. beginning or ending. She's just always there. And I realized that I really loved uh, oil painting. And what I loved about it is it's a, it's a lot like writing in that it's all about the revision process. You know, you put a layer down and yep. maybe you wipe it off and you put another layer down and you cover that up and you're forever changing it. And that's what writing is. You know, you, you finish the first draft of a book, but that's only, you you've only just begun at that point. It's the rewriting and the revising mm -hmm. that is the real, um, that's the real work of writing. So I remember early on in her classes, she'd, she'd come up, 
to me and say, you need to wipe that off and start again. And I'd go, okay, and I'd wipe it off and start again. The other people in the class would just fall to pieces, you know, it'd be like, I can't wipe it off. I spent 10 whole minutes on this. How could I? Well, you know, I've thrown away entire books, right? I've written 300 page manuscripts that I had to throw away because they weren't working. Wow. So I was not in the least bit intimidated with wiping something off a canvas uh -huh. and doing it again. So anyway, yeah, I, um, I, really decided that I loved oil painting. And uh, that's kind of what I did for a long time. But the thing is, it's hard to travel with oil paint. It's not impossible, but it's kind of hard. So I really wanted a little sketchbook. And, you know, I wanted the thing that I started out wanting, which was a way to just do little drawings in a sketchbook. But fortunately, by this time, online classes had sort of blossomed. So this was like, 2016 or so, um, I was able to start binging some online classes and really learn how to sketch and use ink and use watercolor. And so since then, I've just gotten into a lot of different uh, mediums. And this has always been something that I've just kind of done on the side uh, because my main job is to write books. So I'm always on book tour. I'm writing a book. I've been a very busy person for a very long time. But, um, but art is just such a fantastic break for me, you know? Um, Writing is, uh, you're in front of a computer, it's very intellectual, it's very wordy, you're very much in your brain. Yeah. But when I'm painting, uh, it's not about words anymore. And it's about, and it's about art supplies, which are so much fun and so just juicy and wonderful. You know, paint and paper and canvas is so great. Uh, so it's just a completely different experience physically um, and emotionally from writing. And I, and they're over very quickly. Like you do a painting and it can be done in an hour or an afternoon, whereas a book takes me years. So it's been a wonderful sort of companion, I think, to my writing career. Thank you, Amy. I actually saw in uh, your bio on your website that you mentioned that painting has this instant gratification, whereas writing books and printing them, yeah, can take some time. So that's why you fell in love with painting. I've seen from your works that you do a lot of sketching from the different places that you go to. In one of your um, IGTV, you shared your art supplies and how you set up your sketchbook. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, it took me a while to work this out. And of course, it's different for everybody. But first of all, I wanted it to be lightweight enough that I would never debate whether or not to take it with me. So, you know, it's kind of like you wake up in the morning uh, in Paris and you're like, ah, oh, we're going to be walking for eight hours today. Do I really want to haul this bag of art supplies around? Is it a sketching day or isn't it? You know, and you're sort of yeah, debating yeah. with yourself. Yeah. I never wanted to have to have that argument. I wanted it to be lightweight enough that it just comes with me. So that was one thing. But the other thing is I wanted to be able to literally sketch anywhere. Like um, I wanted to be able to stand on the median, the big wide median strip on Fifth Avenue in New York and sketch there. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to look around for a bench. I don't need to look around for a table where I'm going to spread out a bunch of art supplies. Everything is, is, is on me. Everything's in my hand or on my shoulder bag so that I can stand or sit anywhere I want to be. And of course, if I have to get up and move all of a sudden, if you're sitting in a cafe and you pull your sketchbook out and you have to put like 20 little things around you on the table, well, it becomes very inconvenient. Like the waiter sure. comes with the food and it's like, whatever. So Sounds I didn't want cool. any of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I did a couple years ago is I made a video where I showed people how I have a shoulder bag yes. um, with pockets on the outside so that I can pull my sketchbook out and stick my pens in this outer pocket and I can just stand there and draw. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time to paint, I put all that stuff away and I get out my watercolor palette, which is tiny. It's the size of a, of a credit card, basically. Mm-hmm. Clips on to my, um, it clips onto the sketchbook. So it's laying right there on the paper. Uh, and I've got the water bottle tucked in that pocket so that I can, you know, and I've got a paper towel sort of in my hand. Anyway, it's a way for me to sort of juggle my art supplies and be able to sketch standing up wherever I want to be. Uh, that's not the right solution for everybody. I definitely know travel sketchers who have a big backpack full of stuff and they've got a little stool, a little three-legged stool that they sit on <laughs> and they got a whole, and maybe a little easel. So everybody's different, but I am all about lightweight and portable. And I love that. When, you know, when I saw that video, I was like, I should have done this a long time ago. I'm sure a lot of people was inspired not only with the practical way of setting up your sketchbook, or a new travel, but also the idea of the postcards and sending it out to people. That is just a yes. lovely gesture. Right. So that's something I do, especially on a day when I want it to be ultra, ultra lightweight. So <laughs> rather than uh, like a five by eight inch hardbound uh, sketchbook, mm-hmm. which is what I would normally have, I'll get rid of that for the day and I'll just take a little you know, they're little watercolor postcards, they're four by six, and they come on a little pad. Mm -hmm. So that weighs just nothing. Um, And usually on those days, I'll also if I need it to be super lightweight, I'm really just getting down to one pen, like the other pens are going to stay back in the hotel room, my water bottle is going to be empty, because I know I can always find water somewhere, I don't need to lug water around. So, so that is like my ultra, ultra lightweight. And yeah, I'll just sit and draw these little tiny postcards, and then mail them to my friends and do that rather than do in my sketchbook but also sometimes if you do a postcard and you love it so much that you don't want to send it to it was somebody, <laughs> that, yeah that, you know, that's you true you can glue it into your sketchbook you're allowed to keep them um, it's sort of fun to collage in a sketchbook a little bit so that's, that's you know it's always an option it's true you talked about sketching and you know the practical way of doing that wherever you may be but there's this question that always lingers with everyone's mind, whether you're a starting artist or a seasoned artist, you know, the, the terror of facing a blank page. Have you ever been in a position where, okay, I don't know what to draw. I don't know what to paint. Like the, the blank page or the blank canvas is just sort of your kryptonite. I think it, you know, it can be intimidating. Um, yeah. One thing that I got, I've finally gotten to where I do is that I have a sketchbook that I'm that I'm going to fill with drawings that I kind of already know how to do. Oh. So, you know, like if I'm in Italy, I'm going to have my nice sketchbook and I'm going to go out and I'm going to draw the kind of stuff I already know how to draw. And I have a pretty good sense that it's going to look nice at the end. And it's mm-hmm. a souvenir of my trip. And that's the point of it. But I also just have spiral bound sketchbooks that are real cheap, that are like student grade yeah. that I'm always experimenting with. And, and I'll fill one with um, like sketches of people, like people are sort of challenging and it's easy to, to go horribly <laughs> wrong drawing people. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I might just fill it with terrible drawings of people or just little experiments. So I sort of do have two levels of sketchbook, the, the practice sketchbook that's for learning and then the nice sketchbook that's for stuff that I've got a certain level of confidence with and is gonna go well. But I will also say to your point, 
I really try not to waste time walking around looking for the perfect scene to draw. Because I think that can be, it, it can use up a lot of your sketching time. And, um, and also everything is interesting, right? Like, you know, just sit down on the street and draw the cars parked along the street, draw the lamppost, draw the, draw the 7-Eleven, like it, you know, draw the convenience store. It does not have to be a beautiful thing. Sit at the bus stop and draw whatever's directly across the street from the bus stop. Like it's all interesting. And I think this is one thing that Instagram is so great for. Like there's definitely artists I follow and they'll post their super cool sketch that's like moody and interesting and creative and evocative and it's all this cool stuff and then you swipe and you see the scene that they were sitting in front of and it's so boring and it's like wow you took this really uninteresting street or whatever or even in nature like a kind of boring looking landscape that's sort of it's not a picture postcard scene it's just kind of a nothing scene and you made this incredible drawing because the drawing is yours and it's only loosely based on what's in front of you what's in front of you is just the jumping off point for what you're going to make i love that point um amy and to add to that i saw this painting that you made um of two people an old lady and a younger man if you remember that painting and then it's either the woman or the older woman was whispering something to the young man and there is this and that there's a stroller i was just I, I really love that painting because you mentioned about it's a photo or it's a it's a scene of like three generations and it and right. someone who's passing by it could be just a simple okay that's someone it could be a grandmother to his son and then his her granddaughter or grandson but when you painted it and then the reflection it's it's more than that and that's exactly what you were saying earlier that it could be something that's so boring but when you draw and you painted it it could be very interesting. It could have a different depth. You know, what we do as artists is we add our own ideas, right? right. So we, we look at a picture and we, we add our own, our own concept of what's happening and what is the story and what does it mean? And, and uh, that's what we bring to, to what we draw. To like, and will, will that have to do with, because you're also a writer, and creating a story with what you're seeing and then adding it in, onto your canvas. Would you say that that sort of helped with anything that you create? Well, you know, it's definitely something that I've started thinking about more lately. I mean, I think for so many years, I was just trying to figure out how to paint. It was just like, how do you paint a building? How do you paint a window? How do you paint a car? How do you paint a tree? Right. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I recently <laughs> went through a whole thing of, because I've always sort of avoided painting animals. It wasn't, was not super interesting to me as a subject, but also it's just every animal is different, right? Like never done a lot with animals. So I kind of went through a little phase where it's like, I'm going to really figure out animals and work on this, but I didn't really have anything to say about animals. I was just trying to learn, like, how do you paint a dog? I kind of have never figured it out. So now I'm going to do it. And I sort of did. But um, lately I've been following a lot of artists who are kind of like New Yorker cover illustrators, you know, people like um, Gail Kabaker, for instance, who's wonderful. Um, and, you know, their work, Julia Rothman, who does a lot of kind of newspaper editorial illustrator type stuff, she's amazing. And, and, you know, they're telling stories. So when they draw a person or a scene, there's a reason for it. There's a story in it. And so recently I've tried to really push myself to say, you know, I don't have to live in New York 
to, to, to have interesting stories happening all around me. I live in a cool city. I live in Portland, but anywhere you live, there's stories happening on the street. So like, right as I had this realization, Portland had a very rare snowstorm. And I'm like, I'm going to go outside and look at how Portlanders are responding to the snow. And of course, it's totally goofy because it never snows here. So everyone's out doing their weird things in the snow. And I just went around and took some pictures and came back and painted those. And so it's a story only in the sense of like, here's Portlanders in the snow. Like that is the story. It's not like a story, like a narrative, but it's just, it gives this quality of, I'm illustrating a moment in time and how people live and how they react to a strange situation like a snowstorm. Illustrating a moment in time. Really great words, Amy. I think uh, as an artist, that's really what we do when we create something. It's really the story that we're trying to convey to anyone who will be seeing that art piece. And when I look at your artworks, I mean, without knowing that you are a writer, there is a story. I mean, like you said, you love chickens and I saw some of your works with chickens and it's really more than just chickens. You can actually, you can really tell that there is a story around that chicken. There is this article that you wrote wherein you talked about the style of art and you being an artist wearing the writer hat and then an artist at the same time and teacher at the same time. A lot of artists would say that you have to focus on just one thing. And it's difficult if you're going to be more than just one thing. But in that article, you talked about facts and feelings. So can you share a little bit more about that, Amy? Yeah, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I think what's happening for artists right now is that we pay a lot of attention to things like algorithms. Oh, yes. And so we see, we might see an artist on Instagram who's wildly popular. And I follow a lot of people like this who sort of paint the same thing over and over again. And they've got 100,000 followers and they sell every painting they post or they, whatever, whatever their version of success is, they have it. And, and it gives us this idea that what we should do is pick a thing and be really consistent and only do that. And even before algorithms, that was still true because the gallery system also imposed that on artists. I mean, I know artists in the pre-internet era who told me that they felt like a factory, that their gallery loved their landscapes, let's say, but mm -hmm. didn't want to see their portraits or anything else. And they were so bored with landscapes that they would have six of them set up in a circle and they'd sit in a chair on wheels in the middle and go from one to the other, painting them like a production line. And that's the, the, the thing about that is that is terrible advice for, for an artist to say you should, um, you know, you need to pick one thing and only ever do that thing. That is the exact opposite of how art gets made. How art gets made is that you experiment and you play around and you follow your curiosities and your interests wherever they lead you. And they, so they could lead you into different materials they could lead you into different styles or different subject matter or different sizes even, like working really small versus working really big. Um, and they could lead you somewhere else entirely, whatever. Like that's how artists actually work. Uh, it, is, it is corporations and it is uh, money makers who tell artists to do the very opposite of the thing that is actually how art gets made. So we have to be very skeptical of that and we have to really ignore that. I mean, the last thing I'm gonna do is arrange my life around uh, an algorithm, right? right? I mean, for one thing, I'm going to be here long after the algorithm's gone, right? <laughs> like That's when I'm true. when I'm 90, 
Yeah. Uh, the algorithm's not going to be sitting by my bed holding my hand, right? So <laughs> there's no point in uh, in allowing my path as an artist to be dictated by what either an art gallery or a publisher. I mean, I've had this issue as a as a writer as well. You know, mm. publishers will say, "We really want you to write a book just like the last one you wrote because yeah. I'm selling really well." But that's not how art gets made. That's not how great books get written. They don't get written to a marketing plan. Mm. So um, I, you know, I think artists ought to really let themselves off the hook and learn how to follow what they're interested in and follow what they're curious about and not worry about outcomes and be in the moment and make the art that is interesting and exciting and challenging to you. I like the point that you made about algorithm. And I saw this article that is sort of associated to what you just discussed about letting other people dictate like temporary jobs being dictated by like permanent decisions. And that really struck a chord because like what you said, we're, our creativity are sometimes um, confined into what other, like this big corporations and labels and as to what path we're gonna take as an artist. And what you just said is felt for me very liberating to be able to go of what's being dictated by all these social media apps. We're not saying that it's it's bad. Of course, there is this, you know, it can be very helpful, especially if you want to let your brand known. But to your point, Amy, we shouldn't be tied up. The way that we create shouldn't be tied up with what the number dictates. Uh, you know, I, oh, I was just going to say, I um, I remember years ago, I went to see a, a, a retrospective of Mark Rothko's work, a, a lifelong retrospective. And I love Rothko, and I think everyone loves Rothko. But um, I walked in and I thought I was in the wrong exhibit because I didn't recognize any of the paintings. They didn't look like Rothko's. And I realized, oh, this is his early work. And his early work looked like everybody else's work of that generation. They looked like Chagall, it looked like Kandinsky. Like he was painting in the style of other painters at that time. And he did that for a long time. You walk through the room and, and he was successful. He taught, he had galleries, he yeah. had, you know, he had stuff going on. Mm -hmm. He had an art career. And you walk through the room and you see this progression and you get to this painting where there is literally a Mark Rothko at the edge of the painting like it's trying to get out. Like a little bit of the kind of paintings he was gonna become known for had yeah. gotten into one of them. And oh. then a few more paintings and it gets more and more until finally it has taken over the canvas and there it is fully realized, and that's Rothko, and that's him for the rest of his life. And I was so struck by that. And I thought, you know, no one who was hanging out with Rothko could have possibly seen where he was going with that. Yeah. No one else could have pointed him in that direction. All they could do was to say, well, keep doing these things that are sort of yeah. popular and seem to be kind of working. Um, he's the only one who can get himself where he's meant to go. It's no one else has that vision. So, you know, I think you get to a certain point of success. Like for me as a writer, there's other people involved in my career. You know, there's mm -hmm. editors and publicists and marketing people. And there's all these other people, booksellers, there's all these other people, but they are, they are those people who are like in temporary jobs, making permanent, making permanent decisions, decisions about my career. Like they're going to be gone. Everybody, every, you know, every time I sign a book deal with an editor, I know full well, mm -hmm. she's going to leave, but I am the one who will be here to the very end of my career. I mean, so um, yeah, I think we have to do our thing and not get too hung up on what other people expect of us because they're they're not on this journey with us. They're they're in their role doing their thing and we are just passing through their lives as well. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who are going to be on that train, you know, until it reaches until its destination. 
<laughs> That's true. And to your point, Amy, I think it's it's about owning our identity as an artist and not letting anyone dictate as to who we should be to the point that we have to change who we are just to accord ourselves to an algorithm, to what major corporations, to what a gallery dictates. Um, you also talked about, because you, you do a lot of traveling, and I saw something about there about the 30 by 30, wherein you go 30 different places. Can you tell? Can you share a little bit more about that? It's a class that I taught with um, with a bunch of other artists. And the idea was to get people interested in, you know, in the idea of place. And, and there again, I just think when we draw places, when we draw our world, we're really sort of using the thing that's in front of us as a jumping off point for some kind of self-expression. We all have a great phone in our in our pocket, right? You, yes. you can take a picture of a landscape and it'll look beautiful. There's no need to copy it. So that's like kind of the idea is like, you don't need to make a perfect copy of the world around you. We, we, we can do that with a photograph, but mm -hmm. do you like figure out your thing? That is a really great initiative, Amy, uh, allowing people to create from, you know, to to expand their imagination. So the one that you created that class really fosters that environment. So that's a really great initiative, Amy. And um, I know speaking of classes that you will be teaching with us and I just checked our schedule. You, um, I will be hosting your live demo and mini workshop, which I'm pretty excited. So can you share a little bit more about what you will be teaching with us for the live demo? Yes. So uh, we are going to be using Amsterdam as our muse. Mm -hmm. So I pulled out, yeah, I pulled out a bunch of photographs from a trip to Amsterdam that we're going to work on. But the point of the class is actually going to be using really bold black ink to get the darkest darks in your scene. I think a thing that happens, especially with beginning artists, is everything tends to be too light and too tentative. And you know, with watercolor, there's a danger of it all looking kind of washed out because watercolor gets lighter as it dries. Yes. So a lot of times our sketches, especially at the beginning, they're just not very vibrant. They sort of just don't jump off the page and they don't have that sense of depth like you're going into them. Mm -hmm. So by using a lot of black ink as the darkest values, it immediately gives everything weight and depth and makes two dimensional um, lines seem three-dimensional. And then when you put color on top of that, because you've already established the darkest darks, you'll, you will be bolder with your color because you're trying to um, live up to the, to the black areas, right? Like, so the whole point is to be super vibrant with um, how you work. Like what you hear so far? Make More Art the Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. So we would like to give a shout out to Crayon Munster from Canada. She said, make more art is uplifting and inspirational, lifts me up and helps me to get back to making art. Definitely a must listen for creatives. Lorraine Manning from YouTube said, such a wonderful interview. Really enjoy hearing all the ups and downs and sheer determination to succeed. Like you said, inspiring. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. And Amsterdam will definitely be a great muse for that demo. And I, I look forward hosting you uh, for that session yeah. and also your mini workshop. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners and people who are following you will be very much interested or inclined to attend. And I say this with all of the artists as well that I've had on the show. There's just this story and different layers um, with the artists that we interview on the show. And just hearing your story and what I've gathered so far is that everything that you do 
is really about the depth and the story behind. I mean, you can look at something so mundane and even without your background as a writer, there's this um, innate quality and character in you to always go deep and to really let your inner artist shine into the works that you're making. Be like, is there really something to study about worms? But you made it so <laughs> interesting. And that is just, you know, that speaks a lot from an artist and from a writer to be able to translate something that is so mundane, something that's so interesting and create a story that people would really want to read and get inspiration from. So thank you for sharing all those with the world, Amy. I know that those books have been translated to different languages, as I have seen, and you've been teaching. If you are to say what your main advocacy would be as an artist and say what would be the, the major takeaways that you would want our listeners to get away from this interview, what would they be? Well, I think the number one thing is that, I, and I always tell people this, uh, there's no such thing as talent. There's not a, there's not a, a gene for that. And mm. so um, I, I so often I'll be sitting and sketching and somebody will walk up to me and say, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, you can. I didn't know how to do this. And then I took a lot of classes and now I do. Um, I was terrible at this before. Oh no, you're so talented. I'm like, no, I, this is all from practice and taking classes. So there's no such thing as talent. It's not true that your sister was born with a special gift and you didn't get it because there was only one and your parents decided to give it to your sister and not give it to you. Uh, That is all nonsense. It's nothing but um, practice, but also this thing of following your interests. I don't want to make it sound overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if it's, uh, let's say it's the fall and you're walking by your local grocery store. I have a grocery store that really goes crazy in the fall. They put the pumpkins yeah. out Ooh. and the chrysanthemums. Nice. And I mean, it's just like, it lights up, right? And if you walk past that and you're like, oh, that's so pretty. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, I remember um, Alan, I think it's Alan Ginsberg who said that the secret to poetry is to catch yourself thinking. And I think it's true with painting as well. You just got to catch yourself thinking. Mm -hmm. Like if you're walking down the street and there's somebody walking their dog ahead of you and you're like, they're adorable. That's it. That is the idea. Like those people are adorable. Get out your phone, snap a picture and go home and paint a picture of that adorable person walking their adorable (laughs) dog. The point is you just sort of catch yourself thinking and, and whatever you notice and engage with in the world, no matter how mundane or trivial it might seem. If it's like, like right now I'm wearing these earbuds and uh, this, these earbuds are gonna end up on my desk in a big tangle in like five minutes. And so if it's looking at that going, why is it that earbuds end up in such a big tangle and you draw the earbuds? Like that's your thought, that is the story, that's your thing. And it's just that simple. Thank you, Amy. That's just, uh, that's really a major golden nugget this interview it's really about taking something that's so mundane and trivial and like what you said when you catch yourself thinking go for it and yeah. do not overthink amy it's been a pleasure having you on make more art podcast and it's it's been an amazing conversation and experience for me to be able to interview the amy seward and i look forward to having you on our live demo and our mini workshop i just had a great time Um, chatting with you and listening to your stories and learning from you through this interview as well. So we do look forward to seeing more of you on your live demos on the gram. I'll probably get one of your books. (laughs) Um, Which one would you recommend for me to get one first? 
Well, uh, drunken botanist is everyone's favorite. So, I hate uh, if you if if you like a cocktail and you like plants, that's that's the one. I think I, I I'm also thinking about gifting it to someone who's into making cocktails. So probably yeah. that one. Thanks for the recommendation, right. Amy. Again, thank you so much for being on the show, and we look forward to your live demo and mini workshop. Stay safe. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank Thank you. you. That was an inspiring conversation with Amy. It's liberating to know that art gets made when we allow ourselves to pursue our interests and curiosities, leading us to discover that we have gifts within us waiting to be unleashed. And in doing so, we'll open up endless creative possibilities. How about you? Are you also engaged in other creative pursuits? We would love to hear your stories. So share them through the blog post associated with this podcast at etcherlab.com slash Amy. Want to know what goes behind the scenes here at Etcher? We heard ya. We are lifting the curtain and giving you VIP access to do just that. Get to know who does what here at Etcher Lab. With me today is Jai Cruz. She is the head designer here at Etcher. Described as a creative thinker, she's an awesome mother and responsible for making everything Etcher look good. Welcome to the show, Jai. Hey. I'm pretty excited about this. How long have you been with Etcher? With Etcher for almost, oh, sorry, it's about two years two now. Years. Yeah. Time flies. You are a head designer. And you make everything etcher look good. I was thinking about how beautiful our pack packaging is and how minimalist and at the same time sophisticated they look. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do at Etcher? Um, well, pretty much I do, um, yeah, as what you said, the packaging designs for Etcher. And then I also oversee like the overall and feel of that etcher put out in social medias and all those things so yeah basically all design design things (laughs) yeah so if you guys are watching this from youtube it's our background your design too yeah both our backgrounds are my design we have our backgrounds and that's courtesy of jai so and the pop-ups in our youtube's that's all Jai. And she does make everything look good for Etcher. But let's back up a little bit. And can you tell us how you, how did you end up with Etcher? Um, it's, it's like a miracle to me, actually, because Etcher found me in this online, the, in this online jobs that was posted, I think. And then I wasn't really, I lose hope in looking for an online job that time but then when that happened Simon our co-founder of Etcher he actually emailed me and then asked me to have an interview with him and it was a shock and yeah actually it's a miracle I think they found me so yeah (laughs) interestingly Chai and this is kind of a story that I also would like to share our listeners is that we sort of knew each other so we're both from Singapore right from the same church and yes. I've been seeing you in in group settings. You're a friend of a friend. You said that I looked familiar as well when you started editing the podcast. 
yeah you do it was like i know this i know this person she's really familiar and then i started searching for you in instagram and then i saw we have common friends so yeah that's when it happened so i followed you and then i actually wanted to message you then when i found it out but i was too shy to do that so <laughs> i was a bit shy as well to ask I know that it's I know that it's you, but I was you know a little bit shy. But here we are doing this interview, and we've been chatting about how we ended up with Etcher, and it's just amazing how sort of Etcher brought us together, and now we're yeah. doing podcasting, and you're you designing with Etcher, I'm doing hosting with Etcher. It's just amazing how Etcher brought us together, and we yeah. have a lot of stories like that from our community, which you might probably be hearing from this podcast, Make More Art. So Jai, thank you so much for sparing me your time to talk about what you do at Etcher. We love the branding. We love everything that you have been designing so far. So thank you so much, Jai. Bye. We would love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a five-star review on the Apple podcast where you can find us on YouTube at Etcher Studio. And, oh, hitting the subscribe button is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next time. Until then, let's make more art.